What's going on? Happy Friday. Welcome to Canel and Bell and sometimes Samson. I think we're going to brand the show that from I like now on. It. I kind of like it too. You are, you are a go-to guy whenever Raja's out. Picture, though. Right. But what would your signature picture be? Do you have one? <laughs> I know what it would be. It, I think you, I think I might have asked you this before. Finishing the marathon right in the stadium, right? Wasn't, like that, wasn't that, that like an epic one? I like, like the one. The stadium? They, they, I was in the New York Post after winning the World Series. I was holding the trophy going like this. That would be an epic post. Like, we need to get that done. Like, I think we can get that done with all the resources the that, with the rich resources we have there. Yes. We should be able to have a picture of you holding the World Series trophy. That'd be pretty nice, uh, to get that done. We got a good show for you. Raja's out again at his AAU basketball tournament till next week. Um, a lot of NFL news as guys continue to hold out. We got baseball news. We had a position player get a save in a marathon game, which you are going to be able to give us the best expertise of anybody because it finished at 4.15 a.m. and you watched every single pitch. It's a disgrace. That is a little – that is a disease. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I, I will grant you that I was lying there in bed watching the game. You get to the point of no return, right? Because right. Because I've got to be in the studio by 7.30, quarter to 8 for the morning show on HQ. And what are you going to do? And then to watch Wilkerson get that save, throwing oofus balls that I'm sure you could have done better. Yep. Watching Pujols unable to hit it, Calhoun unable to hit it. Everyone's celebrating. It's an instant classic. It was an instant six-hour and 19 game that drove me to insanity. Uh I wish you could have seen the level of disappointment on my face. I'm usually an optimist, optimistic guy coming in. I'm usually in a good mood. But I really wanted to start off the show with a certain topic and then it just totally deflated me that you, you were supposed to, you were scheduled to run with the Bulls. I know. So I wanted to lead today's show with it. I was bummed I forgot about it yesterday and I'm like, I can't wait to get this story. Josh Norman was there jumping over Bulls and all these things. But there's a big but. You, you couldn't do it. I got sick. So I was, at least you and have I, an excuse. I wasn't going to do running with the bulls with yeah. the fever. <laughs> right. Cause I thought that may be a mistake. And now that I saw that Josh Norman was there, I wouldn't have wanted to have seen that because my sort of management hat would have been put on and I would have probably tackled him and stopped <laughs> him from being so silly. Instead, Josh Norman and the video went viral a couple weeks ago when the running of the bulls took place. And it was almost like. He knew that people were videoing him because at first he was sitting in the do. street, right, which is where it starts, right? Is that how they all run to you do the a arena? half mile into a stadium where all the bulls then sort of mill around, and that's where Josh Norman got aggressive. Because when he was in there at the start, he was just like, "All right," he was asking a guy like, "What's the best way?" You kind of tell him he was asking for advice, and then when he got in the arena, it was like, "Oh, I'm going to show off a little bit, get cute with it." So he actually hurdled a bull that was coming at him. I agree, like. That's incredibly risky for him because if he does get, even if he tears his ACL jumping it on the way down, that's not going to thing that could right, happen. Right. I mean, obviously it could have been gorged. <laughs> right. Um, you know, could have been trampled on by a bull, but he would have been out all of his salary. So you're saying from his owner standpoint, you would have, you wouldn't have cut him then. The only reason you would have got rid of him if he would have gotten if hurt. If he had right? gotten hurt. Right. Of course. With the bulls, I would absolutely have gotten rid of him and not paid the contract, which I think most. NFL owners would have done the same thing uh, if a player was willing to take He's that risk. He's going to get a talking to, that. don't you think? Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah, for I, sure. Because right. it's great. It's funny. But you got to say, hey, you have a lot at risk here. And if you if you have enough money that you've made and you're willing to take that risk, then you can keep doing stuff like that. But if you get hurt, you're gone. And so that's up to him. What's now. next for him? I think he may climb, climb Mount Everest next offseason. That'd be good. I mean, he could go with um, 
what's my man's name? Chris Long goes out to, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro and does it with like, he, he actually gets a team of NFL players, like 12 guys and they do it and they do it for charity and he brings them to the top and he says like, guys, it's always a test of who's going to finish, who isn't. You know what and he does? He's putting water boys. Water, yeah. It's an outstanding water in Tanzania. I was always wondering as an NFL guy, I was not invited as an MLB guy, but that is an amazing cause. You're talking about Tanzania where it's, it's a great country and there's a lot of people from here who go and volunteer and make a difference there. Water is something they desperately need. And what Chris Lung did, he got an SB for it. Yeah, he actually, should. And he yeah. should. Water boys. Because he's doing it when the cameras are off. Yeah. And that's my favorite part about athletes who do charity when no one's watching. Yeah, me too. Chris Long's a great guy. Uh, you know, uh, for sure doing great things in the community and internationally, which is awesome. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, we started, uh, um, at the top of this hour with the news. Yesterday, I thought we said that it was assumed he was going to be on the plane. Well, that yeah, wasn't the case. 90. That wasn't the case. He was not know? on the team. How do we plane. know? Uh, is they have some spy. Oh yeah, for sure. Those were, I guarantee you, a beat writer there, some guy Watching had a playing. list on the roster, checked them off and said, who's here? Who isn't? A couple possibilities. Uh, one is you just, Hey, I'm going to provide my own transportation. Maybe he's coming from LA or he's coming from another area of the country. Maybe he's just like, Hey, I'm not, I don't want to ride in the team plane. I'm take my own. Maybe he flies private. I don't know what it is. That could be a circumstance. Maybe he arrives today. The speculation is that this could be the start of a holdout for Ezekiel. If he does, he could be subject to $40,000 every day of camp he misses. Like this, right? Yeah, right, make yeah. It rain. He can he's make gonna, it rain. He's going to stand there each day he doesn't show up. He's going to take four bricks, right? Well, yeah. He's going to start going like that. Yeah, he could do that, or he could just light a pile of cash and burn it, because that's essentially what he's doing. I don't think Jerry Jones finds him. Um I think some of these could be posturing. Uh, now that's, you know, the report came out about Melvin Gordon possibly going in the regular season. I don't think anybody on the Cowboys cares if Zeke Elliott's in training camp. Really. I don't think Jason Garrett cares. As long as he's ready to go week one, that's when you have your most leverage. Like we talked a lot yesterday about leverage that you've got to withhold your playing, you know, capability. Your, your actually your skill set. You have to withhold that from the team. Jerry Jones cares, Danny. Jerry Jones cares. I don't think he cares about the training camp. Oh, he cares. Because it's an embarrassment right now. And Elliot has to be made an example of. You cannot run a team where you're worried about who's going to be a camp, who's not going to be a camp. He is under contract. I don't care that he wasn't on the team playing. It's not even news to me. He's got to show up for day one of camp, first meeting, and be a leader on the team. He's one of their leaders. What does that say to the other 54 guys? 52. 53-man roster. So, So, yeah. yeah, All right. That would be the other 52. What does it say to them? Here's the thing. I don't think any players care because they players will very rarely get involved in another guy's business because I think they understand, hey, if I ever have a chance to use some leverage, I want to be able to wield it just like Zeke is. And the only thing the players have is saying I'm not going to play. So I don't think the players will be upset with him at all. I think they understand it. There might be some frustration, but the one time really in the last 20 years that anybody was vocal about it, Tiki Barber said something famously about Michael Strahan about, hey, just get to camp, worry about your money. And he got skewered by his teammates and by the media saying you don't uh, mess with other guys. Right now, yeah. 3.9 million. Yeah, it's still a lot of money. In your career, did you make 3.9? None. Okay, so you're at camp. Yep. You're a backup quarterback yep. trying to make a team. And you not, don't get upset that a highly paid player, the star of the team, thinks that he's too important to be doing two-a-days, to be sweating, and to have pads on, and you're fine. Hey, just come when it matters. Uh, I think so. Wow. I would. I think some guys will be like, man, this kind of stinks. I'd love to have him here. But here's the other thing. I think some of these holdouts, 
And speaking of the New York Giants where I played, there were guys famously, Lawrence Taylor, uh, would hold, they would say hold out. They just didn't want to go to camp. And so they would make it a contract dispute and then they would show up and the you like were fine with that. that. Well, this was before I played, but, but if, but you would be fine with that. Yeah. I mean, even Brett Favre, when they always said he was mulling retirement, there was a lot of speculation that he just didn't want to go to camp either, you know, so it gives other guys a chance to get some reps. And I'm sure there's some eye rolls. But the majority of the guys that are there at the Cowboys probably understand, hey, this is part of the business. And as long as Zeke shows up and he's not 30 pounds overweight because he's been sitting on a beat somewhere, which I assume he's training and I assume he'll be ready. But if he comes in out of shape, then you might hear some guys like Dak Prescott. Does training can't matter to get ready for the no, season. No, it's way too long. Matter. No, you need you need probably two weeks and it's a month. You know, so and it, it depends. It matters for the guys in their first year or two. Younger guys need the reps. They need the work. If you have a new coach. That's why I had a problem with a new uh, playbook. A new playbook, yes, that could be. That would absolutely. The Cowboys be have new plays. They don't, but for example, Odell Beckham Jr. signs with the Browns. They have OTAs, which are voluntary, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to pass on those. Even though I would say OTA attendance across the league is 98. percent What does OTA 99%? stand for? In case someone doesn't know, official team activities or organized team activity, and he's supposed to show up to that. It's voluntary. So then he doesn't need to be. Well, that's that was his stance too. But again, listen to the stat I'm giving you. I would say they are 98 or 99% attendance for OTAs. Because most guys, if you don't show up for your OTAs, even though they're voluntary, like for me, if I was a quarterback and I was making league minimum, my last, I would have been cut. Like on the spot. Oh, you don't want to be at OTAs? We're going to cut you. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't use that as an excuse. They would say, oh, well, you know, we're not, he's not part of our, or would future. you be upset if a player didn't show up to an OTA? Yes, I would, but not training camp, not training camp. With missing no, training because camp. it's a, because I'm, it's a holdout, because it's a holdout scenario, you know, and Odell Beckham just got a new deal, just got traded and he's out training in LA because he said he can get in better shape out there. Those are the reps I think he needed to get in the playbook. Although there were some videos going around yesterday of him making all kinds of circuit catches and I don't think anybody cares he wasn't at OTAs. As it was, but it's gonna, I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zeke. Does Jerry Jones cave? He didn't with DeMarco Murray. Um, it wasn't that long ago within the last decade. You when he have let to stop DeMarco this, Murray. Danny. They gotta stop these holdouts. We'll see. It's bad I, for the game. We're talking about it again instead yep. of training camp. It's our second day in a row in the first block of the show talking yep. about holdouts. And there's more. Michael Thomas is added to the list. Now there is speculation that he is going to get a new deal. Which, again, it makes it hard. You know, we talk about solidarity from the player standpoint. If the owners really want to take a hard-line stance, they get on the phone with each other and they say, hey, no, none of you guys better cave. There's always somebody, especially you got Drew Brees. He's getting older. That window is closing. You can't afford to not have your best wide receiver on the field. So they're thinking, all right, he might have some leverage. Let's get something done that's fair and make sure he doesn't miss a game in the regular season. But missing camp, no problem. <laughs> Just well, be there when it even him, yeah, in September. Yeah, as long as you're ready to go. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. So uh there was really unfortunate circumstance. I it's probably my least favorite subject to talk about, and I think it's anybody's, it's domestic violence and how it impacts the NFL. Uh the Ray Rice case really kind of put them under a lot of scrutiny. And this is the problem I have with Roger Goodell in the NFL. It's always been reactionary. There was never like this should have been there should have been something in place twenty, thirty years ago to try to get out in front of this. Instead, they were, they've suspended Ray Rice two games, and then the video comes out, and everybody's outraged. Then they suspend him a year. The guy never plays again. They're, and then they have a new policy, a domestic violence policy. They hired some special investigators to start handling everything. And it just seems because it was reactionary, it wasn't really well thought out. And now they're finding themselves with all of these new s- developments, and there's no consistency. They still get a ton of criticism because a guy like Tyreek Hill 
has a history where he pled guilty um, to, you know, punching his then pregnant girlfriend in the stomach. Um, that was in college. But now the same girl with the baby that was in the belly um, has a broken arm. There's some really incriminating audio that makes Tyreek Hill look really bad. Um, his wife said he did it. You have audio with a child saying, I'm scared of daddy. You know, there's just a lot of stuff that's ugly. And yet NFL says, we're not going to punish you. Nothing. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe they have more information, but they don't put out any statement. They don't explain. That's what I wanted. So there's a department of investigations with MLB and commissioner Rob Manfred has been clear. It doesn't matter what happens in the court of law. If you're accused, we're basically going to suspend you, put you on, on, on leave. And then we're going to decide what your punishment is working with the legal authorities, but they're making their decision of what's best for the game. To me, the NFL has a terrible image problem, and it's made worse by the fact that the Chiefs are willing to negotiate to for an extension with this guy. Now, is there a reason why he wasn't suspended? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say there was, but you've got to come out publicly and say it. Right. You've got to tell your fans and sponsors what the reason is, because right now, NFL sponsors and fans, the season ticket buying public is saying, how can this be? And the Chiefs themselves, this is not their first guy. Right. We were talking Kareem before Hunt. the show about Kareem Hunt. So is this an organization where domestic violence is encouraged, where it's accepted, where it's not a big deal as long as you're good? But if you're bad, all of a sudden there's a problem. This is a major. And that's the perception you're giving out. Uh, and it also looks like, because they are discussing a new deal, um, the Kareem Hunt thing, I bet they feel... Burned on? I guess that's the question. Because, because they cut good. Kareem Hunt. He was good. They cut him. And then John Dorsey, who was the GM who drafted him in Kansas City, who is now in Cleveland, picks him up and gets him on the cheap. So the Chiefs are saying, hold on a second. Well, you know, there's no, where's the outrage on Kareem Hunt? Because they probably cut him for perception, right? They probably said, hey, we have to take a strong stance. And yet they cut him, and they're probably looking back saying, well, we lost him for, you know, we didn't get anything. Why don't we just keep Tyreek Hill because he's one of the best receivers I in the league? I hope they're not saying that. I know, I but it's probably got a moral compass and that they realize that Super Bowl rings are amazing. However, if you build a team with thugs, felons, missed people who commit domestic violence, then is it really worth it doing that for your I think you and I are on the same page with this one because I think the NFL should not be in the business of playing the moral police. I just think they're overwhelmed by it. I don't think they have the proper department to do it. Um, You know, I thought about outsourcing it, but I've always felt like fans gear their outrage. They they the, the majority of the outrage goes to the teams um and the commissioners when it should go to our justice system. Like that's the that's the bigger flaw to me in our society is that too many guys do get off. But if you're the NFL, if you just said, "Hey, I'm going to suspend a player indefinitely until the findings of the case come out. If he's convicted, then we'll make a judgment, then we'll go on or if he has to go away to jail, and if he's cleared, then it's not our responsibility. He's cleared. Right. He's a free man, so he should be able to sign. So the justice system actually has something called you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. Whereas the court of public opinion has something called you're guilty until you're proven innocent. And those two concepts don't match. So what happens is when you've got a, a woman who has been abused but will not corroborate and will not be a witness, the district attorney's office, the state attorney, the federal prosecutors, they have no choice but not to go forward because there's no case, there's no evidence. They can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But as a league, we have the right to say, listen, 
We are not saying beyond a reasonable doubt. We understand the legal system did not convict because there was no corroboration. But I'll tell you right now, we heard the audio, we saw the video, and we don't want that four-hour league. And that's what I think should be happening with the Chiefs. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. and You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, during our break, I had to go get some water. You noticed my water bottle, which is a great water bottle. It's glass. Don't show the brand. They're not a sponsor. Oh, yeah. That's right. Not yet, anyway. Maybe they will be after this segment because they realize I'm too cheap to actually buy them every time. You knocked me. You said, how long have I had this? It is glass. I don't know what is the parabens in plastic. Is that what's the Yeah, but I go, I go plastic. You still do. I go plastic. You're not worried about the parabens. Or my the, wife asked or me the environment, actually. Okay, so you're not worried about any of that. I'm worried about I am hydrated. saving the environment. It's 80 degrees in well, the studio. What's the difference in your water and my water? Because I fill this up yellow. every time. Well, I do clean this, believe it or not. I clean this several times a week. <laughs> Chris Long called during the break <laughs> and said, you some need water. some water. <laughs> That's good. I think it's perfectly acceptable. I think it's, you know, I fill it up fresh water every time. I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah, it is. looks great, Danny. Um, you know who doesn't need to uh, fill up water bottles because he's going to be uh, a little bit richer is Mike Tomlin. Uh, before the show, segue. like that segue, that was yeah, pretty right. good. I'm getting better at it or not. They're even cheesier than ever. But Mike Tomlin got a contract extension. You came in, we were talking about this before the show, and you said, what was your question? Why or do you know exactly why? I wanted to at, find out from you why because he was on the hot seat. Yes. And you're an NFL insider on CBS Sports <laughs> HQ. <laughs> That's right. Expert. Expert. More than an insider. I want to know. Uh, it's eyewash because we used to give managers extra years all the time, yep. which was just a prelude to firing them. Right. And this is very much – I do think he's still on the hot seat. I think a hot seat. I think this is a make-or-break year for Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger as he's 37 and not getting any, uh, any younger time anytime soon. Uh, uh, never. Yeah. He's never right. getting no, yeah, Exactly. He's never getting any younger. Uh, I do feel like Mike Tomlin's authority. It's a great <laughs> picture. That's a great picture. Is that his stock photo? Dude, what was the movie by Jordan Peele, the horror movie? Get uh, Out. Was, yes. It would look like he could have been in Get Out right there. Like he just saw the people at the door. And wow. Like, Wait a second. Um, so they gave him this extension. I'll tell you why they did. He goes, that's a He's great picture. He's surprised he got the extension. That's why that's the photo. I, I think he is surprised he got the extension. So I do feel like his biggest challenge, uh, I feel like he was walked over by his players. He's a player-friendly coach. That can be a great thing, but you can also get walked all over, and I think you can lose some control. I think that's exactly what happened with the Steelers. Then you come in, and everybody knows you're on the hot seat, and the players are looking at you knowing that, hey, if you if you don't win, you're going to be gone. Management so knows that. Management knows that. So I think they're trying to show some support to him in the eyes of the players, in the eyes of the organization, saying, hey, we're not 
he's not on the hot seat. We're gonna we're gonna show this showing of support when we all know if they really liked him, they would have given him a three or four year extension and a lot more money and said, yeah, let's build our future around him. That is not the case. That's why it's eyewash. This is completely eyewash. It's just it's for show. Um, you know, it's for all those do things. Danny. We when we had a manager who was sort of fluffy and nice and the players liked, we'd fire him and then we'd bring in a Lou Pinella type manager who was a hard charging military sort of sergeant guy. Then we'd fire him and go back to the <laughs> nice guy, way. right? So you just keep going back and forth. I think that Steelers' next coach mm-hmm. will not be like Tomlin. I think he's going to be more of a more of a Buck Showalter type manager, more of a a Bill Belichick in football. Bill Belichick, right? Guy. Like, don't screw around with me. I think it'll be. I think those types of coaches, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, um, guys that are real authoritarian, disciplinarians. Bill Belichick is one throughout. I'd be I'd be really fascinated if Bill Belichick went from the Patriots to say the Dolphins. Totally new franchise, totally new players without Tom Brady who's preaching his gospel basically in that locker room. Hey, this way has worked. If guys would respond the way that they do in New England that he's had all the success. Bill Parcells. probably the reputation. Yeah, it's a good Bill example. Parcells goes to another team, another team never has the success he had with the Giants and I realized why. The players he had stunk. So <laughs> Bill Belichick goes to the Dolphins, he's not winning games. Yep. Yeah, it is. And Bottom I, line. But I do wonder if players respond to that style of coaching now. Because this is a new type of player. They want to know why. You know, they get their feelings hurt. Um, they're just they're softer. They're they are. They're coddled. And I think a lot of coaches are trying to cater that. I mean, we've seen this younger Sean McVay. Everybody's trying to find the next Sean McVay. He's younger. Um, he relates a little bit better. Although I, th- I still think he is an authoritarian. I th- still think he has a pretty tight ship that he runs. But I also think he's perceived as I view a him fun as a player's coach, though. Oh, I do too. Uh, but Adam I. Adam Gaze, what, what do you perceive him as? Oh man, that, there's a basket case. I, way I would describe I think, him. I think that he's a mix, mm-hmm. and I think you have to be one or the other in right. today's NFL. You have to choose your path and then know that your voice is not going to be heard forever. You know, these longtime coaches, it's hard to do. Yep. What Bruce Bochy's done in San Francisco. Tony LaRusso did it for a long time in, 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 with the Cardinals. In the NFL, you've got Bill Belichick. Do you know how hard it is to be the head coach? Greg Popovich with the Spurs. Right. It's unbelievable. Marty Schottenheimer, um, who was a longtime coach in the NFL, had a belief that 10 years you should move on no matter how much success you've had. Like it's just too hard. You get stale. The message doesn't get received the same way. And it's, he might be right. Like if you look at the careers of coaches, Mike McCarthy's a pretty good example in Green Bay. It was just getting stale. They had to make a change and they did. Um, Major League Baseball, we have the trade deadline coming up. So you're hearing all these rumors, stuff comes out, who's talking to two, but you also hear some of these, uh, reports that come out that say so and so scout, who maybe is a well-known scout. Top was, scout. Yes. For the Yankees or whatever was at this game, maybe the Giants game. And is that? mean anything we're gonna use the same phrase twice in the same show <laughs> and i'm sorry coca it's eyewash yep. it is completely ridiculous this important scouts are the ones in the minor leagues scouting the systems of the teams so if the giants are trading Baumgartner, the getting back prospects the giants the real giant scouts are down in the minor leagues for these other teams who need starters they're in the Yankees farm system. They're in the Padres farm system. They're in the Cardinals. They're in all Braves looking to see who they want to get back. Players who we've never heard of who are going to be really good in years to come. What scouts learn by going to Madison Baumgartner's start? <laughs> like they already know everything you need to know about Madison I ju- Baumgartner, I just right? went through everything they learned. Here it is. <laughs> right. Now, they do have – so there are different scouts, right? There are minor league scouts and there are major league scouts, correct? There's pro scouts. Right. Right. And those are guys in the bigs. 
but the pro scouts also go through systems. Okay. So they, they do the minor leagues and they do the major leagues. Amateur scouts are going for high school and college players to figure out who to draft. And then once the draft is over, some of them will go on special assignment, but many of them take a little time off, take 20 days like George Clooney up in the air back to his house, and then they're back on the road looking at amateurs. So you're saying this tweet from Joel Sherman who says, Allard Baird, perhaps uh, Van Wagenen's top lieutenant, is watching the Braves' tri- AAA team today. Atlanta last year was the team that tried hardest for Wheeler. Atlanta also has the farm talent to go for Diaz or Syndergaard if the Mets were willing to do something that big in the division. Is that mean something because it's AAA? Yes. Okay, so you should. So if there is a Minor top scout said, at a triple A team, that it does mean something. something. But having 10 scouts watch Marcus Stroman's start with the Toronto Blue Jays, that does not mean a thing. Right. Uh, so we mentioned, uh, Syndergaard in that tweet right there, and the Mets have taken a stance. We have to I don't, talk about this. I don't think it's very smart, <laughs> but they have told the New York Post, according to the New York Post, they have said, you know what? We want to move on from Syndergaard. We want to try to get something in return, but there is one team we will not talk to. And that is the New York Yankees. Even though they don't play in the same league, it is because they have this competition with them, I guess, playing in the same market. They are the redhead stepchild. They don't get as much. And they are saying, anybody but the Yankees, we do not want to talk to them. Do I have a scissors I can borrow? <laughs> I don't. I'm going to cut <laughs> off my nose. And I'm going to do that just to spite my face. Right, because that's, that's what they're what doing. that's what the Mets are doing. I'm sorry. I, I really wanted to land that plane. I wanted to <laughs> land that analogy. In it was good. I like Here's it. Here's the problem with the Mets. They feel like the ugly stepchild so badly of the New York Yankees. For them to go public and say, we will only deal with 28 teams, it, it's literally absurd. They need to go to the Yankees and get a huge haul and win that trade. And they can do it because the Yankees have need a great it. farm system. And they need Noah Syndergaard. They need him way more than Baumgartner or Stroman or Robbie Ray or Mike Miner or any of the other sort of middle-of-the-road dreck that's out there. They need a top-of-the-rotation starter. You saw what happened with them against the Red Sox last night. Tanaka is maybe a three-starter. Gave up 12 runs, first time in over 107 years how bad these starters have been for the Yankees. How can the Mets do this? If I'm a Met fan, I'm so frustrated that I would even protest and not watch any games until they agreed to trade Syndergaard for the best possible package, not for the only package. Would you be okay if the Mets took a stand against a team in their division? No. That's old school. I used to feel that way. When we ran the Marlins, I did not want to make any trades with the Braves or the Mets or the Phillies or the Nationals, and then I realized that's completely silly. Right. If they have the best if they're the best suitor and they have a good, you know, they have some good um, assets that you can get something back in return. Why wouldn't you deal with them? So what if they win? The we have game? an issue with owners because owners get very weird about this kind of stuff. We don't want to be embarrassed by another team in our division. But as a baseball guy or as the team president, you've got to say to your owner, listen, we have a responsibility to get the best we can back for this player. Yep. Uh, we talked a little bit about Madison Bumgarner yesterday with the Giants situation they're in. They've been getting hot as of late. They're thinking they're going to make the run, playoff run, even though statistically it's about an 8% chance that they get into the playoffs. And now we have conflicting reports. We have MLB's, MLB.com's Mark Feinstein, uh, and uh, San Francisco Chronicle's Henry Schulman with conflicting reports. Feinstein said he heard from a source, it's all but certain the Giants would hang on to Baumgartner. All but Sh- certain. Right. And then Schulman heard from a source of his own that no firm decision has been made. You think they do... What? Have you changed your mind at all? I've got four sources, <laughs> and they told me that there's a definite possibility <laughs> that he may or may not get traded by July 31st. And, and those, you'll be right. That's value added right there. Absolutely. I mean, that's a tweet worth tweeting. <laughs> yes. Come on. Multiple sources saying he may or may not get traded. Right. Here's what happens in the front office. We don't pay attention to any of it. 
we only know that what we put out there with certain writers is we plant it. Mm -hmm. We're in charge of the source. We are the source. We don't want to get named because we don't want to get named, but we're going to try to dictate, especially around the trade deadline. We're going to trump up interest in our players. So we're going to say that every team is interested in our guy. Uh, then you have the Rays in a really interesting situation where their, uh, stud pitcher, 26 year old Blake Snell was placed on the 10, placed on the 10 day injured list Thursday. He's going to have arthroscopic surgery to move these loose bodies from his arms, uh, from his arms, from his elbow. I don't know. I was trying, Coca's texting me and he's like, do this, do this. Sorry about that. Um, what would you do if you're the Rays? Because the trade deadline is closing. Do you make a move of desperation and get somebody to help Can you? Can I give you 45 seconds on a loose body? Yes. I hear your it. dad taught me. Right. His dad, the <laughs> second best team doctor I've ever known in my life behind <laughs> Dr. Paul Jacobs with the Milwaukee Brewers. Here's how it works. Full range of motion is when your arm can go like this. They feel loose bodies in there, but everything's fine. You can pitch through it. All of a sudden, if the loose body becomes unloose, then you're elbow locks up, you lose your full range of motion, and you can no longer pitch. One pitcher I had in 18 years was able to pitch without full extension, Ugether Bina. Oh, yeah. He was he couldn't move his arm past this. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. But you need the full extension. So he's going to have surgery. The Razor's saying four weeks. Your dad told me 20 years ago, no chance for four weeks, minimum six weeks. If Snell is back by mid-September, it'll be a small miracle, but he will not be able to be as impactful and effective as he was. They wish that this loose body would have gotten firm a month and a half ago. Right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the Rays do, probably making a move there with the trade deadline. Welcome back to Canel and Bell and sometimes Samson on a Friday, uh, talking a lot about baseball with your expert, uh, expertise on hint here. We just talked about the Rays in the AL East. Um, they are nine and a half games back from the Yankees, the Red Sox, 10 games back from the Yankees. Uh, so we just talked about the Rays with Snell's injury, what they could possibly do. You mentioned earlier in the show, the Yankees, if Syndergaard is off the board and we still are up in the air with Bumgarner, which direction do you think they go? And does Brian Cashman, it feels to me like at least publicly and with sources and all those things we talked about, he's going to take a smarter approach as opposed to a desperate approach. Do you think that changes, or do you think he could make a more desperate move? Um, I think Cashman should be desperate. You do? Yeah. You're that concerned they, about their rotation? They haven't won the World Series since 09. This could be the first decade uh, that they haven't been to the World Series in 30. They were in the 70s and 80s, um, 90s, and 00s. I, mean, I don't know what the decade's called. <laughs> I don't either. I Not actually don't. Tens. Right, no. I think we're in the, the K's now. <laughs> yeah. right? The two K's. Maybe, yeah, maybe this is two K's. So this is major. This is their last chance before the next one. Some people say the decade is from 11 to 20. I learned that in school. But oh, I still, interesting. Oh, I got I didn't 10 know to 19. Yeah. But in any case, they've had a major cold drought. And what Cashman did is he put together this great lineup. He traded for Edwin Encarnacion to be his DH. He was better than Kendris Morales. Stanton's going to come back, and then you're going to have a pretty crowded outfield. Stanton will be there for the postseason. But what we saw last postseason is the Yankees just didn't have the pitching, and you don't have these 14-12 to 12 games, 19-3 to 3 games in the playoffs. It's not going to happen like last night. It's more 5-3, to 5-4, to 2-1. to one. You know, six to two. They need pitching so desperately. Brian Cashman has to get out there. Last year, he tried to bring in Jay Happ, which he did. He traded for Paxton over the course of this offseason, thinking he could be a top of the rotation guy, but again, traded for him at the high. When you look at these statistics, home runs allowed, everyone's allowing home runs. Those go down in the playoffs, so I'm not as worried about that. What I don't like is the opposing team's average because in a league right now where batting averages are down, mm -hmm. they're giving up 254, right? 
and their ERA is only sixth. For a team to win the World Series and succeed, you have to be in the top five in offense for me and the top five in defense, run scored and ERA. And what Tanaka, when you're watching that game as the president of that team or as Hal Steinbrenner, you're, you're panicked. You are desperate, and that's why you've got to make an offer to the Indians for Trevor Bauer or the Mets for Noah Syndergaard that will blow them out of the water. Just make the deal. Make it happen. We used to are those there. the top two choices? You wouldn't go after Bumgarner because I love Madison Bumgarner. I love like I love the old school approach. He doesn't love like bat flips. Love we went and pitched a zillion pitches when they won the World Series. Love who he used to be. So you think that's gone? You think it's not? Now he's pitched very well. In the last month or two, his last few starts have been great. But for me, he is not a top-of-the-rotation guy anymore. Now, they would throw him out there in a game one, the Yankees would, because given who else they have, he'd be a game one starter. But he's not the type of quality game one. Imagine him going against Verlander. Hmm. And then what do they have? Tanaka going against Garrett Cole? Right. I'm just talking about the Astros. Yep. So they, I don't know how they get past Houston unless they get some depth. It was interesting that you mentioned Syndergaard, even though we just talked about the last, I mean, the Mets took him off the table supposedly. Do you think that is a supposedly if they got an offer that they couldn't refuse, they would do it? Or do you think they'll take the hardcore stance of we we're not doing it? We would sit at a trade deadline every single year and we had a board behind us and we'd have these magic markers. And one of the things we would do each day is we would come up with a trade that we wanted to offer that the other team couldn't say no to. Mm -hmm. And then we'd talk about it. And we'd have someone in the room who would be against it because they'd say, you cannot possibly (laughs) give up this many players to get this one player back. But we wanted to see what that trade would look like. If I'm the Yankees, I'd put that on the board. What would it take for when I call Brody Van Wagenen, who then has to call Fred Wilpon, that we offer the following four Noah Syndergaard, what will it take for them not to say no? And I think they got to try it, but it's going to be painful. And Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner would do it because he wanted rings above all. Yep. Hal Steinbrenner, his son, and Brian Cashman are much more judicious with their young talent than George ever was. Do you think if they don't, I was going to say win the World Series, is that the barometer for Cashman and Aaron Boone's future? Like if they come up short... You don't, you think they're okay yeah. if they make a nice run? Maybe, maybe they go against the Astros and the Astros look great and they get bounced in a, you know. I think that the way they're approaching things may have to change if they don't have a successful October. Right. Because bashing people, and we've said it on the queue so many times, including on this show with you, what the Yankees are built for is to get to October, not through October. And at some point, that's not good enough. Yep. The Yankees are about the rings. Many teams are about having the chance to get a ring, but the Yankees are a clearly franchise. Yep. about rings. It's unique. Uh, the Red Sox have become one of those organizations, too, where they want to win championships above all else. Uh, they're 10 games behind the Yankees, one game back of the wild card spout, uh, spot. Do they make some moves? Well, they made a huge move. They brought in Andrew Kashner. I think we had breaking news on HQ and analyzed that for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, we ignored it because it's the most ridiculous move of all time. (laughs) Andrew Kashner is worse than a mediocre pitcher pickup. He is, he to me is someone who is, is actually useless for the Red Sox, useless in a postseason rotation. They brought him in just to take up some innings. They've got to go out and get deeper. They really do. And I'd like to see him to, but they could get one of the minor Mike Miner, Robbie Ray type pitchers because they've got a game one starter in Chris Sale. Yep. Uh, so we've talked about a lot about these trades. I've seen a lot of articles written. It seems like everyone has been anticipating a lot of movement. Sometimes when we have those expectations, it goes by and there isn't a blockbuster deal or isn't that much movement. If you had to guess, July 31st, trade deadline comes. 
Will we be surprised by the lack of moves, or will we be surprised at the blockbuster moves? I, I'm going to go on the spot here and tell you we're going to be surprised by the lack of moves because there's so many teams who are in the race. The Marlins are the only team out of the race in the National League, and I, I think the GMs will have a hard time convincing owners to sell when they have a shot to have a hot streak the way the Giants have been hot at one point this season. The Indians have been hot. The Nationals have been hot. There is a way to be hot, and I could delude myself into thinking that, that, hey, we're one eight out of ten away from being in the wild card lead. We can't do this to our fans. We've got to think about next year's revenue and next year's season ticket holders. We're going for it. Yep. Uh, it seems like it, it'll be interesting to watch. We're going to have you here Tuesday, I think, right? Did half hour. I agreed to a half hour. Oh, my hour. goodness. All right, well, that's great. We'll take what we can get. Because it's too hot in here. <laughs> it is. And a little, little hot in our studio right now. I think the air did just kick on. Oh, welcome back to Canel and Bell and sometimes Samson. I heard Janita's voice in there getting mad at me because I was complaining about some of the timing issues that we have right after our show here on Canel and Bell. Because HQ starts right after us. We're both going to do stuff for them. So you're saying, hey, we'd love to get over there and get get set up fast. And I was like, oh, they're never ready. Janita helped set up the show. So I like basically the the threw her under the bus. Off. No, but I, I would tell her that in person. I would, and I'm not complaining. She's amazing. She's the best. We have the best crew uh, in the business right here. And Janita's uh, absolutely the reason I say that because it's surely not Coca. Um, all right. We were also talking about Netflix. I want to ask you about Last Chance You, which you haven't watched and you need to watch it. It's a show about junior college football and what a mess it is and the storylines that come out of there. Uh, but I'll save that for Raja because he's a big fan of that one. Uh, I was looking at your list. I, I like how you actually document your shows that you've watched so you know what you've how watched. How else do you haven't. remember? When I don't know. I guess, you, did you see that? Well, did you see that? I just remember. I you wouldn't remember? Like if you had watched Homeland, you wouldn't remember that you had watched it? I'm older than you. So now whenever <laughs> I learn something, I forget something. I'm at full capacity. Yeah, maybe that. I do have that problem too. But I would say shows are something that I remember. I write every movie I've ever watched and every TV show so I can be conversant yeah. in this subject. So that you know. So one of the shows I saw on your list is something that I just finished. And it was Big Little Lies. Uh, did you like the series? I like season one better than season two. Yep. I, I'm distracted by the fact that in Moulin Rouge, Nicole Kidman was my favorite and beautiful, and I loved her, and she looks a little plastic and fake to me. Did, was she doing something with her mouth that made it look different? Like, was she doing that on purpose, or do you think that was a result of some of the things you're talking some about? Of the procedures. Because my wife and I were watching it together, and I was like, what's wrong with her mouth? And it was, I don't know if she was trying to be pouty or upset. Like, in the series, she has a lot of emotional stress that she has to deal with, and I don't know if it was that. Or it was maybe it was something else. Is it a spoiler to say it's domestic abuse that she gets beaten up in the series? Is no, I don't think that's a spoiler. No, I don't think it's a spoiler either to say that Meryl Streep absolutely destroyed all the other like hot actresses that were in season one. When Meryl Streep joined the cast in season two, it was like, oh, there's a Hall of Famer playing a bunch of good major leaguers, but it's like, oh, you see a difference. It reminded me of when there's a good team and you make a trade and you bring in a professional, really good, successful player. And we had that, and I actually thought of this in 03 when we brought in Pudge Rodriguez into that clubhouse. We had a bunch of young players yeah. in walks Pudge, and you could see the everyone wanted to be around him. Everyone wanted to talk to him. Everyone wanted to learn from him. I was picturing the set of Big Little Lies when <laughs> Meryl Streep shows up. Right. Like Shalene Woodley. Yes. Yeah. Like she must be thinking, that's Meryl Streep. Right. I, I, I'm going to go talk to her. I want her autograph. I want a picture with her. People, our players were like getting autographs from Pudge <laughs> when Ichiro walked into the clubhouse. Yeah. Everyone, even veterans. Legend. He's a legend. A legend. And that's what Meryl Streep is. For sure. And I bet they did give her that type of respect and that attitude. I and think. Might have showed on camera. photos to them. Probably. 
I heard that Nicole Kidman bowed after the courtroom scene in, in the Wouldn't final. surprise me at all. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise like, me at all. Gave her an applause. Yep, probably did. We, when Ichiro got his 3,000th hit, um, he got a standing ovation. Which is awesome. The there's, there's no better sign of respect for a player than your teammates and guys you go against to show you that type of love. That's when you know you're in another stratosphere than everybody else. Did you else. ever get a standing ovation from your teammates? <laughs> I like did a, not. Just... Well, I did at rookie, uh, talent show. I had to sing for do? the team. So, <laughs> all right, I'll tell you. Coca's like, move on, move on. 30 seconds, um, Coca. No, 30 seconds. That's all I asked for. So my, I was on the New York Giants. I was dating a girl. We were engaged to be married. I called off the wedding. Uh, it was also the time when Titanic, the movie, was one of the all time, like it was going, it was in the, it's in its heyday, right? It's actually in the movie. King of the world. So we did this whole thing where I was Leonardo DiCaprio and the fiance who I broke it off with at the time, she, there was a whole play that we acted out and basically we flipped the script where she drank. It was really awful, but I got a standing ovation out of it. So it was very well Land acted. Land the plane. What did you do? Oh, I let her go into the water, and then she drowned, and I, I survived as opposed to her. I can't imagine why you broke off the engagement. Exactly. So now I look like a complete jerk, and any women who watch this show are like, that guy's a jerk. So thank you for outing me on that one, Samson, dropping that story late in the show. RJ Hampton, incredible basketball player. How's that segue? Um, Lee Ning. Yeah, exactly. Signs a new shoe deal with Lee Ning. It's a uh, Chinese-branded uh, basketball comp- Wayne company. Wayne Wade, right? Yeah, way of Wade. He has his shoe line with them. So not new to the business. Not new to the business at all. And I do think the NBA, more so than any other sport, is a global brand. And if you follow any of these guys, Steph Curry, James Harden, um, Kevin Durant, they always make a, I don't want to say pilgrimage, but they an off-season they, stop in an China. Off-season stop to China that is sponsored by Under Armour if you're Steph Curry, Nike if you're uh, KD, whatever shoe company you're branded by, because they go over there. And they promote their shoes. They promote their companies that they work for. And I think it's an interesting option for guys to say, all right, well, if Dwayne Wade did it and they're pretty good quality, why not find some competition somewhere else that's over there? And you know what it allowed RJ Hampton to do, which I think is the more interesting topic, is it allowed him to skip the, hey, I'm going to go to college for a year, put my body on the line, not make any money. I don't want to go to Duke. I don't want to go to North Carolina. I just want to be a pro. And so now he can have some financial security go play basketball internationally over in Australia and New Zealand and in a year he can enter the NBA draft and he already he has more financial security and he doesn't have to go through the farce that's being a student athlete if you don't want to be if it. If I'm the NCAA, I am nervous about this situation because if enough high schoolers choose to bypass Division One college basketball and instead go overseas play pro and wait to then get drafted after one year there that will impact the college product, which is a cash cow for the NCAA, which actually finances a ton of the other sports at these schools mm-hmm. through the TV deal, including our very network. Yep. It is a major problem if we don't have the best players playing during March Madness. So what would, cause I would say the NCAA has a real problem on his hands and it's been documented by everybody and it's paying athletes. There's the disparity between players who make nothing and coaches who make millions. Uh, and there's been a really strong movement to get the players paid. I think a solution, because there aren't that many players that are exploited. Like Zion Williamson could have been a multi-millionaire. Instead, he had to go to Duke. He couldn't get paid. But for every Zion Williamson's, there, there's thousands of other players who receive a scholarship. It's a great value. They, they have a great education. experience. Yeah, they don't have student loan debt coming out of college. So I think it's a really good system for a lot of people. I do think rather than blowing up that system, 
and having to pay all student athletes like salaried employees, which would bankrupt a lot of schools. It would bankrupt a lot of other, you'd see programs shut down. Like I'm talking, you know, Wake water Forest. Polo. Might, yeah, water, but also even at schools like a Wake Forest might shut down their men's baseball team because they have to have basketball and football. And it's a pretty big sport, but they just say it's not worth it. So as opposed to going to that, if I was the NCAA, I'd say, all right, if you guys want to take that route, go ahead. You can go out of high school. You can go after your freshman year. You can go anytime you want to be a pro. You just can't go during the season if you come to a college program. I would like, and then just change the rules so it's open up. You don't have people complaining about it. And there is an option because I was always a long proponent of don't pay the players. The system is in place. Let them, if they have to go three years to college, make them go three years. If they're going to get paid, they're going to get paid eventually. But as I've kind of evolved in my view and seen the disparity that takes place, um, seeing how players are kind of treated roughly, um, I'd rather just give them the option to say, all right, go pro. If you don't like the system and you don't want to go to college, as soon as you can increase your value, go ahead and go. But don't, but stop complaining about being paid. set you up, Danny. What, do you want your kids to go to college? I do. How come? Uh, I think it sets them up for life. Okay. So if I go to college, if I want my kids to go to college, so it sets them up for life. And after one year of college, they have an opportunity to go pro and to get a contract, right? Financially I, I, might I, set them up for life. Well, so when you said set them up for life, do you mean socially or financially? I would say in our society, the way it works with getting jobs, et cetera, that you need a college degree, even though I kind of getting to a point where I think it's a racket, uh, the whole academia. But Wait, I so would say, get older. <laughs> I would say, but they need that to, to approach and get a good job out of college. Like that would be the main thing. Socially, I think they'd be fine. So if there's an athlete whose job it is, they're an athlete. They're not going to learn physics. Right. Right. They're right. not going to become a doctor in psychology or a math major. They're going to get paid to be an athlete. Yep. Now the odds are they're not going to make it. Right. Right. Because even the best players, Often in college, they don't get pro basketball careers or pro football careers. One percent, really, really hard. Yep. But if right, what are the odds of getting a job at Goldman Sachs or at Morgan Stanley? If you're in the financial world, it's hard to be in the top one percent. But you still go get the education. You put yourself in a position to get rewarded. That's what college athletes are doing. They're putting themselves in the best possible position to get rewarded for the talent that they have. I have no problem with anybody. R.J. Hampton decides that it's in his best interest to go and to play in Australia, New Zealand, because that he thinks that sets him up more than going to Durham, North Carolina. If it works, he was right. If it doesn't work, other players will look at it and take pause. I don't think it's the beginning of an outflux of players doing that. Right. But if it works, and then there's the next player and the next player, then all of a sudden the trend becomes the reality. Right. And I think that's okay, though. I Because I, college basketball has already agree. been diluted with the one and done. And I don't think it would suffer that much more. Yeah, maybe you don't get to see a Zion Williamson, which was great for the college basketball landscape. But you know what a lot of these guys can do, RJ Hampton specifically? If he changes his mind, he can have a lot of money in the bank. And you know what he can do in five years if his NBA career doesn't pan out? He can go back to college. Did he lose eligibility? Yes. Once you sign that professional endorsement deal, you're so done. he can no longer play right. in college. He can go back and get his education. Exactly. But he wouldn't be able to play. I think all players do. Should yeah. go back and get an education. I totally agree. All right. It's been a lot of fun. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thank you, Danny. We'll be back Monday. Have a good weekend. Put the air on.